people who were short of Bibles on the way in. Is there anyone who still needs to, to grab a Bible? Do stick a hand up if you'd like to. I'm sure we can find you one. Uh, before I get going, let me just say again how grateful I am to, to you all for your welcome to us over these last uh, week, couple of weeks. Um, it has been such a privilege to join with you at SMAC and to see the different things you're involved in. Thank you for letting us in, really, to, to all the different things that you're up to. And um, from my reading of the Bible, God loves what you're doing at SMAC, so keep doing it, keep trusting in him, and thank you for your encouragement to us. Let me pray now as we uh, come to God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we know how important it is that your word is implanted in our hearts, your word that can save us, your word that changes us, that brings new life. And we pray now your word would be powerfully at work amongst each one of us, that this morning we would be transformed by this passage in James, that our hearts would be renewed before you, that we might be those who, who serve you and bring you glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I read a, a news story which uh, came through a, an Asian news agency a while ago. And uh, the story went like this. A Chinese couple who met in an internet chat room finally came face to face, only to discover they'd been living together for two years. <laughs> Bored with each other, the pair had secretly turned to the web to meet someone new using online nicknames. They only realised this when they agreed to meet. Uh, when they discovered what had happened, an argument flared up, I'll bet, which became so heated that the police were called in. Uh, conflict is a part of everyday life, isn't it? In every area of life, we so easily find conflict. Conflict at home, conflict at work, conflict between friends, conflict with non-friends, with enemies. And conflict can come in a variety of forms. You can have the very obvious falling out between two people. You can have a quiet, unspoken animosity that bubbles away under the veneer of friendship or even under the veneer of marriage. You can have conflict that is massively hurtful to both. You can have some conflict where one side just thinks it's a minor spat and the other side is hurting hugely. Conflict is part of everyday life and I'm sure there will be a number of us here this morning who are bruised by conflict that we've experienced, maybe conflict that is going on now, maybe an ongoing struggle. And I'm sure there will be some of us here who are aware of guilt because we know the hurt and the damage we have done to others. It is part of everyday life and very sadly it can easily be part of church life. Uh, the conflicts and the battles that can make up life in the world can very easily make up life in the church. It's very easy. You just need two individuals, any two people, and you have the potential for conflict. And so it can be just as common among Christians, and it's certainly no less painful. And so if you're someone who's fairly new to the Christian life, it might be something that has saddened you. You'd hope you'd left all that behind. If you're someone who's looking into Christianity, it might put you off to see conflicts within the church. It is part of everyday life and so easily part of church life. It may well be an issue here at SMAC. Conflict between different members here. 
my impression is just from the time I spent with you that it's not a big issue. I'm not particularly aware of massive bust-ups or conflicts, but it's often a very hidden issue. Uh, we don't often use fists and knives, we don't have to. As we learnt last week, our most powerful weapon is the tongue. And so it can often be a very hidden problem. Well, James, I hope you are learning by now, is trying to call us to live wholeheartedly for God. Uh, We're not to love him with just a a little piece of our life, a a portion of our time. We're to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. And James is targeting Christians who he calls double-minded. We might say two-faced. Christians who claim to live for God but are actually living in the way of the world. And James, if you like, is declaring war on half-heartedness. We need to be wholehearted in every area of life, not least in the area of conflict. Because James says conflict in the church should not be. The new Christian is right to be shocked if conflict becomes anything like normal within a church community. The non-Christian is right to be put off if conflict is happening amongst their Christian friends. We are right to assume Christians should be different. And James says we can be different. We can be wholehearted in this area. And so his message for us this morning really is that in as much as we find ourselves drawn into conflict, we need to have an admission of guilt. Uh, We need to see what our hearts are like. And we need submission to God having seen what our hearts are like, to turn our hearts back to him. Uh, you should have an outline in the bulletin with those as the two headings, and that, that will give you an idea of where we're going. Admission of guilt and submission of God. And for some of us this morning, you will be particularly aware that you need to hear this. Maybe you've sensed that you are someone who is easily drawn into conflict. It may well be for others that we think, well, this isn't my problem. I'm not the kind of person who gets into conflict. Well, James says, don't be deceived. If you think you're above this problem, James says you don't know yourself. Don't be deceived. And if you are someone here who's still thinking through the Christian faith, well listen. Listen for the sake of your Christian friends. Listen to how seriously God takes sin. Because Christians should be different. And James says Christians can be different. Well, our first point in uh, James chapter 4 is an admission of guilt. We need to begin there, admitting our guilt before God, and that's going to take us through verses 1 to 6. James, as ever, begins with a question. Verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? What causes quarrels or fights among you? You might like to cast your mind back to a recent conflict, uh, maybe in the last week or so, maybe in the last few minutes or so, Uh, But think of a recent conflict and ask yourself this question, whose fault was it? Who caused it? Why did it happen? And of course the answer is because of them. Uh, It's their fault. Well James gives us a different answer in verse 1. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James says the problem is not everybody else, the problem is our heart. We have a selfish heart. The problem is not out there. It's not that everybody else needs to change and be more like me. The problem is inside our hearts. 
Uh, it's often been said that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And it's our selfish desires, that battle, to get their own way that lead to conflict. And James shows us that in verse 2. Frustrated desire leads to conflict. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James is using strong language and it's deliberate. James, I'm sure, doesn't mean that the church he was writing to were literally killing each other. Uh, Presumably there'd only kind of be dwindling numbers of, of Christians left to write to. But you don't need to kill to have murderous thoughts, do you? No, to understand the conflict we find ourselves in, we need to understand our hearts. We need to understand the desires we have that are getting frustrated Maybe our desire is for status, and so we vie for position. We envy others who get position that we would want. Maybe our desire is to look good in front of other people, and so we're critical of others. We try and do down others to make us look better. Maybe our desire is to get even, to settle old scores, and so we nurture bitterness. We remember hurts. Now it's our frustrated desires, our selfish hearts that lead to conflict. And James says in verse 2, it's bound up as well with a wrong view of God. A wrong view of his grace. So for verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. We misunderstand the grace of God. We don't have because we don't ask. We run our own things our own way under our own steam. We don't trust God. We don't depend on God. Instead of praying about wrong desires, we plot and try and indulge them. We misunderstand God's grace. We also misunderstand his goodness. So verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We forget the purity, the goodness of God And so when we do turn to God, it's as if he's just there to rubber stamp our prayers, rubber stamp our agenda, rubber stamp our desires, and we pray to him, my will be done. Well, do you really think God is there to honour selfish desires? We so easily treat prayer like room service, don't we? And it's as if we pick up the phone to God and say, yep, today I would like some sweet and sour pork, a nice plate of fried rice, whatever it might be. No, we're to pray along his priorities, what matters most to him. So James says we need to admit our guilt, our hearts are selfish. I know that's a hard thing to come to terms with. I don't know the details of your life. There may be some of us here who are carrying very deep hurts, who bear very deep scars, There may be some of us who are feeling a profound sense of bitterness to others. Well, let me ask you this question, and I hope gently. If you are someone who particularly finds yourself in conflict, are you willing to look at your heart and to admit the faults that might lie within you? To recognise your selfish desires? I guess that's a question for all of us. Are you willing to admit what your heart is like? Now, kids are very honest. Um, there's a, 
I think a four-year-old boy of a, a friend of mine at church and I had to look after him one morning uh, round at my flat and he'd never been round to my flat before so I picked him up, brought him round and uh, he walked through the door and the moment he walked into my flat he said, it stinks in here. <laughs> to be fair it probably did. Kids are very honest aren't they? And so when two children both want the same toy, what happens? Well, the one who gets there first grabs it and bashes the other one over the head with it. And we don't grow out of that mentality. We have the same kinds of desires and actually it leads to the same kind of results. We have a selfish heart. Well, if that's bad enough, James has more to say to us this morning. Our selfish desires lead us into conflict with one another. They can also lead to another conflict, even more serious than that. Because James says the selfish heart is itself a sign that we have an adulterous heart. And in these next few verses, James doesn't uh, hold back. Uh, He's very blunt with us. He shows us that our selfish desires show that we are spiritually adulterous. So he says in verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James says to us that our, our hearts are adulterous. Now I'd like you to picture a wedding. It's a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, it's been a long time coming. Things with the bride have not been straightforward over the months, but the groom has been exceptionally patient with her, bearing with her, and finally they're married, and it is such a good thing. And a few months later, the new husband comes home early from work, Uh, less jams that day he got home a lot earlier than he thought he would he comes home he walks upstairs to get changed he walks into his bedroom and sees his new wife in bed with somebody else it's a horrific picture unfortunately in this world it's not an uncommon picture and of all the pictures we can imagine God says that is the one that often describes our relationship with him It is a picture of our relationship with God so often. It's a common image in the Old Testament. You may have picked that up from our first reading this morning. It's one of those readings that makes us blush, isn't it? But it shows us God's passion and how much it matters to him. Adultery is a picture of our unfaithfulness to God. We come to God as a bride comes to a husband we come to God to love him to honour him to cherish him in all circumstances for richer, for poorer for better, for worse in sickness and in health forsaking all others to be faithful to him and yet so easily we are unfaithful and we two-time God by not living with his values but instead jumping into bed with the world James has shown us, hasn't he, that if we look inside, we will find our hearts are very selfish. 
our hearts are self-centred and James says that's true of the whole world it is what we're all like by nature our default setting is to put me first up with number one it's the very mentality from which we need forgiveness the very mentality for which Jesus died to free us to live for God and yet we run straight back into the world in verse 4 friendship with the world is enmity with God it's not friendship that's wrong James isn't saying we shouldn't be friends with people outside of church he's saying that as we take on board the values the selfish values of the world it is hostility to God as we let the world convince us that we should put ourselves first it is enmity with God we're picking a fight with our creator and so we become his enemies I don't know if you've ever had an enemy I don't think I've had I've had people who've not liked me from time to time I can't imagine what it's like to have an enemy someone who is devoted to opposing you it may well be that some of you do have enemies and you know what that's like can you imagine what it must be like to have an enemy of God to incur his hostility his opposition well James says the more we indulge our selfishness the more we follow the way of the world the more we are inviting the opposition of God we're on a collision course with him and we can't win against God and so James is very direct with us whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God so let me ask you another question are you friends with God and I'm sure many of us would say well, of course I am of course I am but we won't find the answer by how you sing at church we won't find the answer by what you say by how much of the Bible you know we find the answer by looking at your desires so let me ask you this question what are your desires? are your desires worldly? are your desires for reputation, for status for self-gratification, for fulfilment, for power, for wealth, for standing? Or are your desires godly? Are you desiring what God esteems? The trembling heart that trembles before his word, the service of others, truth and justice in the way that we live. How are things between you and God? because God is jealous for us verse 5 do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us if we are Christian then God is in us by his spirit God dwells within us and yet by that spirit God is jealous he is like the jealous husband who will brook no rivals he desires our all and so if we've strayed from him in our hearts he wants us back and so wonderfully in verse 6 he says God gives more grace 
Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God wants us back. And so there's a choice to be made. Is love of self going to draw you from God or is love of God going to draw you from self? Are you going to invite God's opposition or are you going to receive God's grace? There's no spiritual Switzerland. There's no neutral. There's no fence to sit on. Be a friend with the world or a friend with God. Be proud or humble. A Christian cannot be both. Make your decision. But before we make the choice, James says we need to admit our guilt. We have a selfish heart. And very easily we have an adulterous heart. We need to admit our guilt. Well, the second point uh, James has for us this morning, as well as admitting our guilt, is to submit to God, submission to God, having seen what our hearts are like, to come back to him, to bring our sinful hearts back to God. Verses 7 to 10. So verse 7, James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The answer to pride, the answer to worldliness, is to submit. To submit to God. To submit our desires to him. Are you willing to do that this morning? To submit your desires to God, to lift them up to him, and give them over to him. It's not easy. Those desires that we've been cherishing and nurturing for so long... Even as we think of giving those over to God, we feel a resistance, don't we? And therefore James says, resist the devil. Resist the devil. I don't know what your image is of the devil. He's not a bloke in a red dress. He's not a cartoon character. He is a real force in the world. And we are to resist him. And James says we can resist him. We mustn't go blaming Uh, the devil for our own desires as if we've got no ability to resist him no James says resist the devil and he will flee from you it's an amazing promise submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you I don't know if when you were younger or even now whether you have ever known someone who was a bully uh, whether you've ever had someone bully you either as a kid or even as an adult at work Uh, If you have, just imagine that bully now. And uh, I'm imagining Matthew Moore from my secondary school. Now, if you knew that that bully would flee the moment you stood up to him, well, you wouldn't fear him, would you? You wouldn't listen to him. You wouldn't be fussed by him. You wouldn't do what he said. Now, James says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. Don't listen to his propaganda. Don't let him tell you to indulge your pride, to nurture your selfish desires. Fight him and not each other, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil by coming back to God and submitting to him. And if we do that, God will come near to us. It's a wonderful promise. If we come back to God, God will draw near to us. God will come near, however unfaithful we've been. God can forgive and forget. He gives us more grace, verse 6. 
we're to turn to God and therefore verse 8 we're to turn from sin so James says cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded we need to sort out our behaviour our hands and our attitude our hearts and James shows us what that means in the next couple of verses verse 9 be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom again strong words from James he says we need to realise that sin matters and when we've been going through a season of spiritual adultery we need to recognise that is serious and to respond in an appropriate way he's not saying there's no joy in being a Christian far from it I hope you know that's not true there is a wonderful joy in knowing God in knowing forgiveness but there is a seriousness about life a seriousness about our sin it's not some little thing that God can just sweep under the carpet it's not something God can wink at you know boys will be boys it took Jesus to experience the wrath of God on our behalf for us to be forgiven sin matters and James says we must mourn our sin if we've had a season of turning away from God it is right to weep now I've got a friend at home who's uh, rather emotional uh, she was going out with my uh, flatmate so I got to see some of this firsthand. I remember walking home one day and he was comforting her because she was in floods and floods of tears and I thought oh my, what has happened something disastrous must have happened and I was very worried I found out later that she'd watched a TV show called Spooks it's a, a TV show we have in the UK and uh, one of the characters had double crossed the others and that, that was what had set her off now I don't say that to sort of do her down but it's amazing what we can cry at I'm astonished at the trivial things that can make me weep and yet how hard hearted I am when it comes to my sin James says we should grieve our sin not just sort of regret it a bit and think we probably shouldn't have done that not just let it wound our own pride because we thought we were above it no James says we should grieve our sin and as we do so God is able to lift us up by the message of his gospel by the message of sins forgiven by the cross of Christ we're to submit in our dealings with God and finally as we finish we're to submit in our dealings with one another so verse 11 James says don't speak evil against one another brothers it's so easily done isn't it it is so easy to slander to do someone down to crush them with our words it's an easy reflex but James says as we slander someone we're actually slandering the law of God the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge the law says that we're to love our neighbours as ourselves we're not to judge them we're not to decide we're above them and can cut them down 
And so every time we do, we're saying, I'm excused from the law. It applies to everybody else, but not to me. I know better than the law knows. And that, my friends, is to slander God. We're saying, in effect, to God, you don't know what it's like being me down here. You don't know my situation. You've not been in my shoes. I'll decide what is right, and I've decided it is right to speak against people. It is right to slander them. Well, James says that is playing God, because there is only one lawgiver, verse 12, and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbour? We don't know better than God how to live. And so if we claim to submit to God, to turn back to God, then we need to start behaving in the right way to our brothers and sisters. And so James says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. How we treat other people actually reflects our view of God. If we speak evil to others, we're showing contempt for God and what he requires of us. So those two things go together. To wish to submit to God in our dealings with him and to submit to God in our dealings with one another. Well, we finish where we began. Conflict is part of everyday life. It is very easily part of church life. And James's message to us this morning is that this should not be so. And so we need to admit our guilt, to admit our hearts are selfish, that our hearts are adulterous, and we need to submit to God in our dealings with him, in our dealings with others. Let me pray.